Bruce Willis, Tom Hanks, Melanie Griffith, Morgan Freeman. This has to be the greatest film ever made, right? Fuck! But Sherman, don't you want a little poontang first? An incredibly beautiful, well-made film helmed by Brian De Palma, a loaded who's who cast and based on a revered best-selling novel. And it's fucking terrible. I wouldn't even consider this film. This isn't a film. This is fucking horrible. That movie, that film that Jim speaks of, or, or not film, is 1990's Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a bonfire, all right. Jesus Christ. Fire of the Vanities. As previously mentioned, it was directed by Brian De Palma, who directed Carrie, Dressed to Kill, Blowout, Scarface, and The Untouchables, along with a number of other films prior to this. He directed all of those. This is mind-blowing that somebody like Brian De Palma, who is revered. We like Brian De Palma. We have shouted his name upon high. And this time, I want to push him off a fucking skyscraper Push him off the Chrysler building. Yeah. It was so terrible that another book was written called Devil's Candy. Devil's Candy was a book that explained what happened and why it was so terrible. So this was a bad idea. So that book was written by an author named Julie Salomon. Salomon was a Wall Street Journal television critic who was given absolute omniscient access to the set. She was allowed to be there 24-7. So she saw it with her own eyes (laughs) and then wrote a tell-all about it. And basically, we'll get into this later too, but basically, you can blame Bruce Willis for most of it. And after taking your suggestion of listening to the Haleywood podcast makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, the, the whole thing pretty much is to be pinned on Bruce Willis. So this is the Pool Scene Podcast and giving you unlimited access to our set is Jim. You get unlimited access all the time, every time, and we don't have any bullshit movie ideas floating through here. Let me tell you this. There's no bonfires. There sure as hell aren't no vanities. And guess what, folks? You're going to have fun on this podcast today, I, so buckle up. I, uh, I'm i dense, apparently, because I don't know what bonfire of the vanities means. It seems like something Bruce Willis would have created in his fucking mind. <laughs> it does. It uh, literally does. So I, I am Kevin. I uh, am Jim. Yeah, we're Jim. Hola. And, uh, so again, Bruce Willis pretty much single-handedly ruined everyone's experience on set however a lot of people blame the disaster on miscasting the lead role despite being great it was near universal that tom hanks was wrong for the character of sherman mccoy he should not have been in this movie yes. at all there's no need for tom hanks in this movie no. and tom hanks his character in this movie makes no sense it seems like they wrote this part for somebody who was not even close to being as big as Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks had to dumb himself down to do this role. And it's embarrassing. He probably got a damn good amount of money, no doubt. But holy shit, Tom Hanks has done some stinkers, but this one takes the cake, pal. We're going to get into that whole that whole thing here shortly when we talk about casting. But Jim, I think the audience is anxiously awaiting to hear how this performed at the box office. Please spill the beans along with news and number ones at the time of release. Again, not the biggest financial bomb of all time no it but, didn't do well but it was but but it's considered just because okay if you call the titanic unsinkable it can't sink 
this was the Titanic. This is the Titanic of movies. Brian De Palma, Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, Morgan Freeman. You've got it. <laughs> F. Murray Abraham, who refused to even be yes. billed for well, this. Well, there's a reason. Yeah, he there's wanted a reason. his name above the title on the poster. I would have done it. <laughs> I, F. Murray Abraham in Bruce Willis's Bonfire of the Vanities. Well, imagine if they would have done that. He, who fucking cares? He would have been like, oh. Later on, he would have yes. been like, oh, why the fuck? <laughs> I don't want to be candidate unless my name is as big as the title. <laughs> Well, here you go, buddy. Yeah, hi, F. Murray. All right. This brilliant thing of a film came out on December the 21st, 1990 to a $47 million budget. 47 kind of seems tame for who you got in this movie. For a 1990 drama? For a 90 drama. Yeah. 47 million. Bruce Willis, Melanie Griffith, Tom Hanks, F. Murray Abraham, Morgan Freeman. The list goes on. It made 15 million bucks in the box office. So you add marketing, you add all these other things, and it made not even 25% back, basically. I'm shocked this made $15 million. Because when I first saw this movie for this, I never saw this movie before we wanted to talk about this on the podcast. I tried not to fall asleep, but like I kept dozing off and I was texting you. I'm like, this is rough. This is the longest two hours. What is this? Two hours and 30 minutes. I don't think it's that long. I think it's like closer to two hours on the nose. Fuck. It seems like a five hour movie thing too, though, is like the first five minutes. It's hilarious. It's it's funny. And there's a great shot, which we'll get into where it's basically this shot where the cameraman's walking backwards for five minutes. It's a walk and talk like a West wing, like a Sorkin. awesome it's great i'm like this is gonna be cool but what we know about bruce willis now makes me wonder was he really drunk that entire time because i think he would have been why not why the fuck not gives him a reason to be kevin since this is a december 1990 episode we've covered a couple 1990 movies i'm gonna hit you with the year in review It's time to do the year in review. The year in review. 1990 year in review. Kevin, this is a year in review time. The big events that happened in 1990. Numero uno. Germany reunited, Kevin. All right. Germany's back together. East and West have come together to go, hey, what's up? You want some coffee? I want coffee. And then next thing you know, they're together. The scene now here at the Brandenburg Gate and the Reichstag in Berlin is unbelievable pandemonium. It's New Year's Eve, the removal of the wall, and unity all in one. Over a million people here celebrating a day that they never thought would come. A day in which Germany became one country again. Also another big event, The Simpsons and Seinfeld debuted on television. Wow. Now, granted, The Simpsons were on TV before 1990, but they were a part of the Tracy Ullman yes. show and they were shorts. I'll never get The Simpsons. I watched the first three seasons. I'm like, I don't like this at all. And it's still going. I don't think you really like animated stuff, though. I probably I'm just not a big I prefer live action, but I got into South Park for a little bit. So it's different. But Seinfeld space, Kevin, the final frontier, the Hubble telescope was launched. The Hubble telescope is the kind of event that gives superlatives a bad name. They talk of the world's most extraordinary looking glass, the most optically precise mirror ever built, an instrument that will bring five to ten trillion objects into focus. And then there's this one. 
With this telescope, theoretically, you could read heads or tails on a dime a hundred miles away. And then immediately after they turned it on, the fucking thing fucked up. The lenses were all messed up and it cost another multi-millions and probably a billion dollars to go up and fix it about seven years later. And then Kevin, one of the biggest tragedies, should I say, beyond a tragedy, 1990, Millie Vanilli admits to limp sinking. I wanted to die. It stopped. Girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's girl. 80,000 people. Girl, you know, it's girl, you know. You know, I couldn't repeat it 15 times. Girl, you know, it got obvious. Still. So I stopped. I panicked. I ran off stage. Julie Brown, who used to work for MTV, ran after me. I didn't want to go back to stage. I had enough. 80,000 people waiting. I said, I have enough. I quit. Limp sinking? Limp sinking. I said limp sinking. They Why the hell not? Being limp biscuit. <laughs> it would have been better if they would have said, hey, we were a band called Limp Biscuit. I love, love Millie Vanilli. Very, I still will. Very sad what happened to them because... Live in concert. I mean, they, they had a lot of internal strife over doing this. They didn't want to. They wanted to sing. They earnestly wanted to sing because they were like, we can, which they did after the lip syncing stuff, but... It was too little too it was late. Too, exactly. Yeah. And had they, who knows? I mean, had they let them sing the songs that were prepared for them, might have still worked. The fact that when you see that video and they're in concert and you just hear, girl, you know, it's girl, you know, yeah. it's, and you just see them running around. It's like, oh, they're Give, giving the Grammys back. Grammys got yanked. But then you saw there was a documentary that came out at MTV and it showed who actually sang yeah. on a track. It's like a 350 pound dude yep. who was singing in the studio. The girl, you know, it's true. Why that guy never got a record deal, right. but 90s MTV, early 90s, you're not going to want a big well, dude Martha on Martha Wash yeah. and CNC Music Factory. They just, they were like, no. no. He couldn't be fat or bald. It was like the cardinal sin. <laughs> Except if you were in all for one. <laughs> so, <laughs> then you're both. Yeah, then you're a uh, Yeah, I don't, Millie, it's super sad because Millie Vanilli, at the very least, if they're going along with this and being exploited, they should have at least reaped the rewards of it. Yeah. Maybe they were getting like women and stuff. I don't know, but they didn't have any money. Well, the one guy, did he end up dying of AIDS or yes. something like that? Yeah. yeah. So they basically did all of this, were exploited, were used, and then came out flat broke. I feel bad for them because they actually did have talent. They knew how to dance. Yeah. They knew how to sing. But like you said, it was too little too late when they started to sing. It's like, I don't, you're Millie Vanilli, man. I don't fucking yeah. believe you. You're done. <laughs> they should have done lip singing again. <laughs> they should have been like, no, this is us this it's time. Not, but it's, it's a different voice. It's a different lip singing <laughs> voice. That was I would have loved it. Amazing. That voice sounds like a woman. No, it's our voice. So that's fab. And they're German. Yeah. So that's the funny thing. The number one toy throughout 1990, Kevin. We've talked about it before. Or in England, because they couldn't say the word ninja, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Really? In England, they were prohibited for using the word ninja because it promoted violence. So they were Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Wow. Oh, yeah, it works. Yeah, so back to this Millie Vanilli thing. If I listen to <laughs> Millie Vanilli, not that, not that Spotify is paying artists the fair share of what they should. Oh, they sure as hell aren't. But if I listen to Millie Vanilli on Spotify, who gets that money? Hmm. Martha Wash and that dude? Probably. probably. Or not Martha hmm. Wash, but that dude. That, that, that's the problem. We know him as that dude. That dude. Everybody knows him as that dude. That, that dude, big fat said, dude. Yeah. Yeah, send out a $5 check to that big fat dude <laughs> at yahoo.com. The number one VHS and movie of 1990. Kevin, we covered it before and we've talked about it endlessly. Rita Miller. It's Ghost. Yeah. Talk about Ghost came out this year. 
Home Alone came out this year. Bonfire of the Vanities. <laughs> Holy shit. And the number one song of 1990, it was also the album of the year, Bette Midler. One of those guilty pleasure songs you like to sing with your buddies in a bar or sing it at karaoke while all the bartenders go, get security ready, we're going to throw this fucker right out of the bar. No one can sing that at karaoke. I would hope nobody ever does. I've never heard anyone but Bette Miller ever. I love Bette Miller. You know a Bette Miller CD? I've never heard anyone else except Bette Midler sing this even half decent no because this is it's one of those songs um and i will always love you and my heart will go on it's just those voices are good for that song and and when i was young i don't know how i got my wires crossed but somehow i always thought that movie was associated with top gun maybe wind wings i don't know but (laughs) i somehow always had a a tie-in that that movie was from top gun it makes sense you were the wind beneath my wings. Yeah, but Maverick, Maverick killed Goose. He is now the wind beneath Maverick's wings. Okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> sure. And we will cover Top Gun eventually whenever the second one comes the hell Next out. Next year. Next year. Might be 2023 at this rate or whenever a Scientology convention comes near you. Being a Scientologist, when you drive past an accident, it's not like anyone else. As you drive past, you know you have to do something about it. And Tom Cruise goes, hey, I got a movie, Top Gun Sea Org. That was all that was going on year in review. You hear it first, 1990. In such an interesting phase for movies because you've got a lot of things releasing directly to like an HBO Max or whatever, Amazon, whatever. But movies like Top Gun, I assume they keep trying to delay in order because they want the theater. They want the theatrical release. Well, right now they're shooting for Memorial Day of next year. At this rate, just fucking stream it. But exactly, like, at what point is it like, okay, guys, we've delayed this for, we've had this in canon, delayed it for two years. Tom Cruise is going to be 75. The more you delay it, the more the... The hype's going to go down. The hype and the cost of everything, because to advertise, that stuff only goes up. They've Um, already spent how many millions of dollars advertising this movie, and it's nothing now. And it's not even a movie. Yeah, exactly. All right, before we invest in the plot, let me give you the tagline to Bonfire. There needed to be a tagline for this. Sorry. It's great. Is it sorry? Take one Wall Street tycoon, his Fifth Avenue mistress, a reporter hungry for fame, and make the wrong turn in the Bronx. Then sit back and watch the sparks fly. I mean, that's not really a tagline. That is a synopsis. That's a synopsis of a movie that could have been, could have been delivered with that tagline. And we got something like Judgment Night 2 straight to VHS. It should have been. Take one Wall Street tycoon, his Fifth Avenue mistress, a reporter hungry for fame. Sit back and watch the sparks fly as a judge delivers a weird inverse racism speech. Which is epic. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the plot. The actual plot synopsis, since uh, they already gave us one. Our film opens present day with Peter Fallow being dragged through a building by publicists and makeup people. So basically, as Jim says, it's a walk and talk. They're leading him through the bowels of this hotel. But I uh, must say, Mr. Fallow, if I... Mr. Fallow! If I may quote you. (laughs) How in the name of God... Oh, in the name of God, we'd bring a half-eaten jar mayonnaise to public meeting. At first, I didn't. I was like, is he a politician? Because I don't yeah, know any backstory. Like, like I here mean, comes the vice president. Yes, he's riding on a golf cart, and he's 
fucking off. And he's three sheets to the she wind. She gives him like a bottle of seltzer to put in his drink. He makes the drink, but then he throws it at a guy with a cello. Yeah. And uh, they're doing walk and talk. They're changing him. Yeah. And as Jim said, he is hammered. My name is Peter Fallon. I am a writer. But you know that already. Unless you haven't read a newspaper or seen a television in the last few months, you know exactly who I am. He tells us that the events that brought us here began one year ago today. Mm -hmm. This is where we meet. (laughs) This is where we go off the rails. Sherman McCoy. He's a Wall Street trader. He's the stereotypical 80s yuppie archetype. But I don't buy it with Tom Hanks. It doesn't work. No, and I'm not lying. I took the dog for a walk. Then I come back in here and wow. I mean... I hardly know what to say. (laughs) You are asking me to prove a negative proposition. They told Tom, here's some movies. Here's Wall Street. Yeah. Watch this. Be a yuppie, but turn it to 11. Well, and he got comical with it. I We'll talk about this again, yeah. I'm sure. But every one of those characters, Gordon Gecko and Jordan Belfort and all these yuppie movies, Patrick Bateman's a little <laughs> different. But yeah, but still. All of these yuppies, they're assholes. They're pricks. Yeah. And in this book, that character is a prick except in this movie he's not he's a pushover because which is weird they were afraid of making him a prick and i wonder if they did that to because it was tom hanks that's the problem because not this movie tom came hanks. out after those other movies where that blueprint of the prick yuppie was established yeah so sherman's married but that doesn't stop him from having a sexual relationship with a woman named maria now i want to be careful how i tread here is maria a sex worker or is she just his mistress this could be the best sex we've had in a long time. I don't know. I still think. Oh, don't think, Sherman. Just fuck. She came across to me like a prostitute. Yes. Yeah. But they don't. She's ever married to that say, very old rich guy, and that's her husband. Yeah, I thought that was her dad. <laughs> what? No, that's her know. husband. Oh, okay. So then again, she's so fucking goofy. The way she's delivered would that have surprised you? If she's no, fucking her dad in this no. movie. I have no idea. <laughs> Bonfire, I fucked my dad. They never explain anything. Like Tom Hanks sneaks out in the rain on this phone call, trying to call her, and calls his wife instead. Ask, hey Maria, Maria, and his wife's like, who's Maria? We'll get into this later. Yes. I get, yeah, okay. Just so, do the plot. <laughs> yeah, either way, Sherman picks up Maria at the airport to take her back to her apartment. Let's say that they're excited to see each other and things get heated in the Mercedes. So she's trying to like, she's super, she's really horny. She's she Every is. time, no matter how heavy or whatever's going on. She wants the fuck. She's always like, listen, we have 45 seconds. Put it in Before me. you have to leave. Like, yeah. Just, let's do it. However, that proves to be the event that sets everything in motion. The fact that she's so horny in the Mercedes because Sherman misses his exit. They end up in, quote, a war zone in the Bronx. It's not a war zone. (laughs) While trying to get out of there, they encounter a tire in the road blocking their exit. They think it's a body. There's a tire lying in the road. Sherman gets out of the car (laughs) and he's going to go pick up the tire so they can drive past. First off, even before that. It's 1990 New York. Yeah. It's not like 1975 New York. Fires in the streets. Yeah. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. There's like a whole operation going on down there. It's something. Yeah. So kind of racially driven. Yeah. Too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, big time. So instead of like driving over the tire, around the tire, anything like that, Sherman decides he's got to get out and he's got to toss the tire out of the street. When he does, it's obviously a trap. Two guys approach him and I guess attempt to rob him. Yo, you need some help? No. No, thank you. Hi. What's 
the problem, man? Need some help or what? No, I, uh, I don't think so. I, no, thank you very much. So they're reaching in their jacket like they're going to pull out a gun. But before they ever get to that, Maria's got in the driver's seat. She's beeping the horn for Sherman to get in. This is the worst robbery attempt I've ever seen. Yes. So it, it, so again, it never really gets that far. Maria picks Sherman up. The guys are like running alongside of the car. In an attempt to escape, they can no longer see one of the guys. So Sherman kind of thinks that they probably ran him over. Yeah. He keeps telling her that and she doesn't care. She's like, oh, you're fine. Yeah, so they get I back, was driving. They get back to her apartment and Sherman's like, We gotta go to the police. She's horny. Just in case. We gotta talk to the police. And Maria's like, No, because it'll expose our affair. And then she's like, Check out this lingerie from Fredericks Hollywood. Yeah, pretty much. Touch my cans. Now Sherman is a higher up at some sort of Wall Street firm. Yeah, he there's a point in this movie where he like a lot of notoriety loses six hundred million dollars. Yeah. So those are the kind of deals he's working on. Here's where we see alcoholic journalist Peter Fallow. We see him for the well, we see him at the beginning, but this is where we go a year prior. Of course, up to this point in our story, I was blissfully ignorant. I had no idea of the storm that was gathering. Never even heard of Sherman McCoy. Had the faintest notion that soon his name would be inexorably tied to mine. That his fate would be inextricably bound to my own destiny. I had my own problems. And I simply had no idea that Sherman McCoy was the solution I was looking for. And he's on thin ice with his editor. He's desperate to find a story. The hit and run case could be a rallying point for the black community and Jewish district attorney Abe Weiss seeking re-election. Weiss thinks that putting away a yuppie could curry enough favor to propel him to the mayorship. So basically, his whole idea is we should hold a rich white guy to the same standard of a poor black person. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn this thing around. If it kills us, we're going to prove to these black motherfuckers, pardon my language, Howard, this administration loves them, no matter what it takes. I am no racist Jaime. By November, they are going to be thinking of me as the first black district attorney of Bronx County. That is literally something he says. Except he is also racist as shit. Absolutely. Yeah. But he knows the politics. and He he gets it. Yes. He wants to run for mayor. So everyone pretty much wants Sherman pinned to the wall for the crime. Just to provide some detail, the guy they hit with the car initially went to the hospital to be treated for a broken arm. Then he went back a few hours later with concussion syndrome. Syndrome. I guess he has CT. I don't know. But he, he goes back a few hours later, he's concussion, and then goes into a coma. So he's not actually dead. So there's this huge trial for a hit and run accident that didn't result in a death. It's ridiculous. That's like the type of thing that, albeit bad, is like somebody does like two years in prison for and then probation or something. A lot of money was wasted. Yeah. If I would have written it, I would have just killed the guy. I don't know. So I think Fallow is feeling some guilt for the position he put the innocent Sherman McCoy in because Fallow's the one who propelled this story. Otherwise, the story probably just fades away. It's another thing. It's page seven below the byline but fallow is kind of the one responsible for getting it to this guy who wants to be the mayor so fallow is dating a woman who's subletting maria's landlord you figure that out on your own exactly she tells fallow that the landlord is recording 
Maria's conversations because he's trying to prove that she's not living in her rent controlled apartment alone. So she has this fuck pad basically oh, yeah. her and Sherman go and the landlord's like, I'm not allowing you to pay this low of rent. If you're there, if you're not there by yourself on these tapes, these secret recordings, there's audio of Maria admitting that she was driving the car that hit the man. This tape is given to Sherman's lawyer. And then this is fucking crazy. Sherman uses a speaker to play the tape in court, not while he's on the stand. It's fucked up. We're going to talk about that later. Sherman's acquitted. The judge, who's black, goes on a tirade about decency and accuses the black community of race baiting and the district attorney of furthering the case for political gain, which is true in the case of the district attorney. When we return to present day, Fallow's accepting accolades for his book and we find out Sherman has moved away not to be seen again. <laughs> Let's move on to characters. <sighs> Tam Honks as Sherman McCoy, also known as Tom Hanks. So when Mike Nichols was signed on to direct, Mike Nichols, who did uh, The Graduate, Closer, a number of films, he wanted Steve Martin in this role. Hmm. I don't know if that works better or worse than Tom Hanks. I'm trying to think of somebody in that time period that would have been a better fit as a well, Sherman let, McCoy. Let me give you some others. So he... John Ratzenberger. Yeah. Mike Nichols wanted Steve Martin. He also wanted John Lithgow. Tom Wolfe, the writer and the, the writer of the novel, they asked him, well, who would you cast? Who do you have in mind? He said, Chevy Chase. Where? So he's got the asshole if he wants it, an asshole. Yeah, but still. Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise, Christopher Reeve were considered. <sighs> Which Costner, maybe. Mm. Cruise, too young. Not Superman. Maybe not. Christopher Reeve is like <laughs> not crazy. Not Superman. It's always Kevin Costner and Tom Cruise when we talk about these things. All the time. It's never Christopher Reeve. Again, this character's pretty unredeemable in the book, so you have to keep that in mind. We had Bruce Willis as Peter Fallow. This role was offered to Jack Nicholson. I would have loved that. That would have been great. And John Cleese who all right when both said no <laughs> bruce willis the studio actually forced brian de palma to use bruce willis because i wonder if de palma had heard something about I, bruce willis being difficult because brian de palma did not want bruce willis makes perfect sense and so the fact that he got bruce willis and this movie went badly i mean listen to kevin smith's comments about bruce willis on cop out yeah because it was a clash the entire time. And now we wonder why Bruce Willis does only straight-to-DVD movies. Yes. Melanie Griffith as Maria Ruskin. Brian De Palma wanted Uma Thurman in this role. Would have been amazing. Yes. I would have liked it. Hanks felt he had better chemistry with Griffith, so they gave him his wish. Melanie Griffith turned down roles in When Harry Met Sally, The Grifters, and Basic Instinct to be in this. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Harry Met Sally, nah. You yeah. want to be in uh, what she's Basic having. Instinct? Nah. Nah, I don't want to show my beaver. No, I'm going to be in the Poontang movie. Yeah. <laughs> the Ross Salmon Against the Wall Poontang movie. Salmon. Don't you want a little poon tank first? Kim Cattrall is Judy McCoy. Sal Rubinick is Jed Kramer. Morgan Freeman is Judge White. Rocking the bald head. Walter Matthau was offered this role, but wanted $1 million. Walter Matthau. I wonder if that $1 million was because he had to be bald. They're like, listen, Matthau. Listen, in 1990, this is before grumpy old men, okay? Yeah. yeah. He wanted $1 million. What the fuck did he do between there and now? Well, they're probably like, you want to be in this movie? And he's like, maybe. And they were like, you got you to gotta be bald. And he's like, no, $1 million. No, man. <laughs> Pew. Pew. What the hell is that smell? 
John Hancock is Reverend Bacon. Kevin Dunn is Tom Killian. Who, who died shortly after this movie. Uh, who else? Alan King is Arthur Ruskin. Kurt Fuller is Pollard Browning. Talk about a great guy who knows how to play an asshole. Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, shit. That just dawned on me. You know who could have been a prick? William Atherton. Okay. There's a prick. William Zabka. William Zabka. Come that, on. William Zabka in a Wall Street movie would have been amazing. Fucking sweet Get would that, that be? that guy as a dickhead working at a firm. You're telling me, think of what, how much you would have spent on William Zabka instead of Tom Hanks. And you can't really tell, but we had Kirsten Dunst as Campbell McCoy. Which is weird. F. Murray Abraham, as we mentioned before, he's uncredited because he wanted his name above the title of the movie on the post. Glad he reneged on that one. In addition, George Plimpton has a credited cameo. Geraldo Rivera yeah. gets smoke blown in his face by Bruce Willis. And Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, has a small but intense role as the PR woman at the beginning of the movie. Which actor or actress gives a passport performance? Come on, Jim. Does any non-lead character <laughs> still scenes? You know what? I've said that we've ranked our worst movies and Kindergarten Cop 2 was our worst. This is by far the worst. I can't fucking give anybody. You're nobody. I have nobody. You want to know why? This is what I don't get. I don't understand. Like right off the bat, you meet Kem Cattrall, okay? Yeah. Why does she have a horrible English accent yeah. that she goes in and out of? Right. What on earth are you doing? Well, I'm taking the dog for a walk. No, you're not taking the dog for a walk. You're taking Marshall for a walk. Marshall has a name. He is one of the family. And anyway, it's raining. I know that. Well, so does Marshall. I don't think he wants to go. Do you, Marshall? Judy. All right. Have a nice time. Why does Tom Hanks deliver his lines like he's literally reading them off a of fucking page? Yeah. There's just, it seems I fake. mean, these are all logic things, but I think this whole episode is going to be a lot of stuff. The only person that I would say that was really decent and did the best that he could with what he was given was Morgan Freeman. Yeah, because he's he's a consummate professional. He's an amazing professional. He took that role and was like, fuck everybody else. I'm going to make myself the movie. Yeah. Now, listen to me, you son of a bitch. You're a nice boy. You're young. You've got a lot going for you. Try to understand me. We got 7,000 felony indictments in the Bronx every year. We got room for 650 trials. Now, you're not going to be one of them. I go to trial. You go sit down. That's what you do. And when your asshole lawyer shows up, you're going to take whatever plea bargain we give you. And you're going to kiss my ass and thank me that I didn't put you away for 25 years. Which, if this case ever came to trial, is exactly what you'd get. Now, get out of my face. And he did it. He's the only shining light I, in this movie. So you're going to think I'm crazy. Oh, fuck. But despite all of the off-screen stuff. Don't do it. Bruce Willis. Fallow. Peter Fallow. Fallow. I got 65 students in every class. Tests, homework, any written work oh, you might have turned in. There hasn't been any written work at Rupert High since 15, maybe 20 years. Really? Mm. Well, how the hell do you keep track of these kids? I mean, Jesus Christ, there must be some record of how this boy measures up to no. the other students in you his see, class. You see, you're thinking about honor students. Attendance records, grades, grades. yeah, that's High it. achievers. We don't make those kind of comparisons. We're just trying to keep them off the street. At Rupert High, an honor student is somebody who comes to class and doesn't piss on the teacher. Well, by that standard, then, would you say Henry Lamb was an honor student? He's horrible. While he's on camera, he nails that to a T. You know what? He has to be a drunk asshole. And he he's probably was. He's a fantastic was. drunk asshole. He's amazing. He's great as what he's supposed to do. Now, he, you know, behind the scenes was the same thing and brought the whole production down. But while he's on screen, I love him in this but movie. I don't get his character. Like, the story of Sherman made him a New York Times bestseller within a year. And now he's the king shit of New York. Yes, it's weird. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Before we even get into best scenes, let me mention these aren't really scenes. 
There are two insanely beautiful pieces of filmmaking and cinematography. It's astoundingly like it's bonerific. The opening title card. See the World Trade Center. It's a 24 hour time lapse sequence that's shot on top of the Chrysler building. So you got the, the gargoyle or eagle or whatever it is. It's shot with that in the foreground. You've got, as Jim said, the twin towers in the background. Beautiful is 24 an hour time lapse. It is. You, when this movie starts, you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. amazing. This is setting a tone. And then I, I really like this one. They spent $80,000 for less than 10 seconds of footage. So when Maria arrives in New York on Air France Concorde, so you see the jet landing, they timed filming perfectly to have the sunset as the backdrop. This shot, this particular shot that they got where the location of the sun is while it's going down is only available for 30 seconds total out of any given year. Imagine working on that film crew, how fucking obnoxious that had to have yes, been. Yes, they used five cameras. They had to be in the right place, right time, film in the camera, no lens cap. That 30 seconds comes across more important and the opening title sequence than the rest of the entire yeah. movie. So $80,000 to see the jet landing, which is funny because now you could get that same shot with CGI. You could yeah. just cut out that background from this movie. It's awful. And yeah, so. So you mentioned that Sherman's place, his fuck palace. Yeah. He needs to have somebody there with him. The one girl who, not really a best scene, it's a notable scene where she tells him that oh the landlord records stuff yeah as she comes in drunk takes <laughs> off her panties and starts taking vaginal printer shots by sitting her ass on a xerox machine printing off pictures of her vagina and her asshole there's recordings all throughout this building at the very least unsanitary shut up peter you're not listening her name is maria ruskin she was subletting my apartment also subletting Filippo and as it turns out she was also in the car with Sherman McCoy when he had his little mishap you're joking she was in the bloody car how do you know all this the apartment was burnt they had a wire in the intercom she is wild. She's nuts. She is. She's fucking nuts. She's wild. The first time we meet her, she's trying to do Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise. I wish she was in this. Uh, she's trying to do Tom Hanks. Yeah. Sherman right in the car. They're not even waiting to get to the fuck palace. They're just no. trying to do it, which is why he misses the exit. She is just at all times. Everywhere Constantly. she goes, she is just insane, which is so funny that she is concerned about the affair being revealed when her behavior 100% of the time is reckless and wild. Considering Tom's like, oh, we, I think we ran over that guy. Oh, we're fine. I'm driving. Let's fuck. It's just yeah. like the constant, just horny. Yeah. And then she ends up playing a whore in milk money. Yes. So my, my favorite, I've talked about it a lot off the air during the opening credits. <laughs> We have a, we have Fallow hammered being led through the building. Hammer's an understatement. To get to this red carpet where they're going to take photos of him because this is a year later for his book release. Okay, so he's coming through. Again, he, he's got his PR person. He's got a makeup person. They're changing him. While he's like making his way through this building, he just sees some girl standing chick, there. Hot chick. He like pushes her into an elevator. While there's a catering guy. With there's a catering guy and he goes, Are you hungry? That's Sermon, but I really don't think you should touch that. Oh! Mr. Fowler! 
Apollo, it's just such an honor to finally meet you. Oh my God. Oh my God. He takes, he takes his hand like a shovel and he scoops a handful of salmon off of this, what I'm assuming is the meal yeah. about to be served to a banquet. Yeah. He scoops a handful of salmon out of the middle of it. She tries to eat some of it out of his hand and then he throws it and it sticks to the wall. I laughed so hard <laughs> after five minutes of this movie. I was like, this movie is going to be fucking awesome. Nope. Nope, that's that's where it peaks. And this is where you say silencia. <laughs> right, that's where it peaks. Yeah, I got one more. It's Morgan Freeman doing the reverse racism. All right, let's get into that. That scene is fucking amazing because the hammer comes down that he acquits Sherman. It's like, all right, you're fine. You're cleared. You're good to go. People in the crowd are fucking yelling at Morgan Freeman. Should saying, you're racist. Well, let's, yeah, let's, let's preface a little bit. So as expected, when the guy running for mayor makes this into what it is, a media circus it's type a of theater. case, you've got him... You've got the black church yeah. leading this crusade against a white man. Kind of like a Reverend Al Sharpton. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He is really playing up the racial component of a white man potentially killing a black man. Mm -hmm. So that is why a lot of members of that church are present at the court, you know, at the yeah. trial. Then you have the district attorney's office spinning this thing big time. Even though initially the DA's office were like, we got nothing here. The dude's not dead. Yeah. We don't really have, we have a half a license plate. What do you want us right. to do? Right. But then, you know, it goes to trial and then there's the tape question thing, which like I said, we'll talk about in logic because it's a big thing that just seems to get glossed over yes. when it comes to uh, judicial and it, uh, what the fuck is happening here. However, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, he plays the tape audibly. Morgan Freeman basically tells Sherman, okay, we're good here. I'm releasing you. There's nothing here. She indicted herself. Yes. We're done. Somebody in the crowd yells, you're racist. And then Morgan Freeman, before he walks into his chambers, just fucking trots back out and lays in every yes. single one of them. Yep. Dad just hit mom at the dinner table like, whoa, shit, this just happened. It is the best scene, minus the salmon, of course. But the relevance in this movie, quote unquote movie, this whole diatribe right here by Morgan Freeman. You dare call me racist. Well, I say unto you, what does it matter the color of a man's skin if witnesses perjure themselves? If a prosecutor enlists the perjurers when a district attorney throws a man to the mob for political gain and men of the cloth. Men of God, take the prime cuts. So damn good. Morgan Freeman just, you could tell him to play a fucking carrot and somehow <laughs> he'd be able to look at me. I'm a orange carrot. Now think of Walter Matthau doing that same speech. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird too, because I almost broke into Judd. <laughs> Y'all be dead now. For my David. It, it's weird. It's almost like they didn't change the script because Morgan Freeman is black. So they're accusing this black judge of being racist, of being racist. And he's telling the black community that they should be ashamed of themselves, which is where I said, it's almost like this was written by a white nationalist. Yeah. Because he's like, Black people are the problem, you know, kind of like in it a way. Is. Yeah. 
And it comes off poorly because Morgan Freeman's black. Now, if they had cast Walter Matthau or anyone else yeah, and they accused uh, him of being racist, yeah. it makes more sense. Yeah. Because it seems like they didn't want to take the time or adjust the script. They're yeah. just like, fuck it. So they're go. accusing. Yeah. It's weird that they're like accusing this. They're almost like calling him an uncle Tom pretty in, much in a way because they're saying like you're siding yeah. with this white yuppie, which they wanted him to go down whether he did the crime or not. He almost comes across like principal Joe Clark. Yeah. To those people is awesome. Sherman finding out from his lawyer that he was going to be arrested. Hey, Andrew, you giddy son of a bitch. How you doing? Yeah. Well, I am sitting here with Mr. Sherman McCoy. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if he needs a lawyer. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 We got a problem. Well, what? What is it? They're going to arrest you. And so while Sherman faced catastrophe in his career and catastrophe in his marriage, and while the police were circling, while his entire life hung in the balance, Sherman put on his tie and went to the opera. So they had brought him in for questioning. Oh, yeah, in the office. And he's yeah. like, what? What car? Like, they're like, you want to, we want to see, can we look at your car? And he's like very, like, worked up. And you nervous. know he's fucked. So then he meets with his lawyer and his lawyer's like, hey, they're going to arrest you. Like, you, they're going to, at any point, they're going to come and arrest you. What? So then Sherman goes to the opera. And the entire time he's at the opera, it's almost like, if you've ever seen the Christmas movie The Night Before with Seth Rogen, he does every drug in one night. And he's very, he starts like tripping out and freaking out real bad. That's almost what this scene is. It's like Tom Hanks living with this, like. He's waiting to be executed. Wait, yeah, exactly. And he, everything, like the way the opera's hitting is like lining up with everything. And then they have an intermission and every, it's like a, this is your life. Well, it's one of those things that moment, if she would have just listened and said, Hey, let's talk to the cops. I think we might've done something. Not only does he almost go down for murder, loses his job. His wife finds out he's having yeah. an affair his whole life. Yes. Gone in that instance, when he's sitting at the opera yep. and he's sweating, yep. he knows the, it's all over the $600 million job. Yeah, yep. exactly. So he finds Maria in the audience, which again, <laughs> What you're worried about exposing your affair, but then like you go and talk to a girl you have no business knowing. Exactly. He basically tells his wife literally something like Sherman, couldn't you try just once to be a little bit interesting? I wanted you to uh, to meet uh, Aubrey Buffing. Who? Aubrey Buffing, the poet. He's on the shortlist for the Nobel Prize. He has AIDS. You'll love him. Talk to this guy. He has AIDS. Yeah. To his wife. Here's the thing. His wife knows that he's yeah. fucking around yes. on her but doesn't care, but does care. Yeah. What? He doesn't want to talk. So he doesn't want to talk to his wife. He's like, talk to this guy. Then goes and finds Maria talking to somebody who doesn't speak English. Again, being fucking wild. She is like basically talking shit to this guy's face. Yeah. And thinks it's funny because he doesn't speak English. So we find, and she's drunk. They're all drunk, but he goes, finds Maria. This whole scene is like super cool. With You kind of as an audience feel the pressure that Sherman is feeling because of how they shoot it. I got nothing else. I have. I can't. We're going to talk about this in logic, so I won't talk about too much. But Sherman bringing a speaker and playing the secret recording in court. We have time for a quickie. What do you say? Possibly my job. I don't feel terrifically sexy at the moment. You know I'm a sucker for a soft dick show. Now, look, 
I, I suppose we could still go to the police. We could get ourselves a very talented lawyer. And put our heads right into the tiger's mouth? I'm the one who's driving the car, It is Fallow, right, who sends the yeah. tape or gives the tape anonymously to Sherman. He does. So that Sherman can be acquitted. Although the tape isn't like accepted as as evidence you know what let's if i can just say it right now his own attorney yes says the, the, the apartment was wired it was bugged all that time yeah why who in the world would, well, who knows whoever sent me this tape is either a big fan of yours or a not so big fan of maria ruskin's do we have this as evidence no no this is an illegal tape totally illegal you can't submit that it's not admissible it's not admissible and in it's court. not for a million reasons so even if he plays that in court, yes, the, ju- the it's judge should instantly say, strike that from the record. You didn't hear Here's that. Here's the problem, though. It's a jury trial. Yeah. It's a mistrial. Yes. He'd have to get a whole new jury because it's inadmissible in court. Yes. Fuck. Fuck Sorry. You. That's your logic issue. But, oh, we're going to talk about it more still yeah. later. Yeah. But uh, he's given this tape. He plays it out loud in court. And he's like losing his mind. Like he's like, he has like a shit eating smirk yeah. on us. He's laughing. He plays this tape out loud that everybody stops and listens to. And the judge basically just says like, doesn't still have to go to the jury. Just bangs his gavel. All charges are dropped. The way Morgan Freeman played this role the entire time. He wants order in this court. He went order, yeah. order, order. Like any judge. All of a sudden he does something that's against the law. Yes. Morgan Freeman's like, okay, you're acquitted. What the fuck? The, uh, no! the cool thing about this scene, though, is as it's all unfolding, De Palma uses these fisheye lenses. He does. To shoot in these people's faces. It makes them look like freaks, and it's awesome. Painting them in this, like, villainous sort of way. It's super cool. Finally, the last scene I'll mention, at a bar, Peter tries to get a co-worker to sit on his face. Filippo, we're a bit crowded this evening. Why don't you sit on top of Billy Cortez, and I'll see if I can get Caroline to sit on my face. No thanks, Peter. The last time I sat on your face, I ended up with a yeast infection. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I didn't sit on my face, and she says, last time I sat on your face, I got a yeast infection. Oh. And then she pushes him. I must have fell asleep during this scene. She pushes him on the floor, and he just lays there. In a public bar, he's laying on the floor and his boss walks in and talks to him while he's laying on the floor. He stands up and his boss is basically like, listen, asshole, I've got so much invested in you and you are worthless is basically how it plays out. But this kind of sums up Fallow, which is so funny because Fallow really does nothing. He's and he goes from the doghouse to, to the, the most penthouse. celebrated, yeah, to the penthouse, to the most celebrated man in this circle in New York. Makes no sense. And he's the same person. I don't get he's it. He's a stumbling, bumbling, idiot, drunk at the beginning. After he sells the book and gets a Pulitzer Prize, he's still a stumbling, bumbling, idiot, you know, jerk. So, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's do an interesting pool check. <sighs> pool check. Drown me for watching this fucking movie. I'm sure all these guys have pools in their houses. Probably. This is a, in a way, a Mount Rushmore, but sort of a new concept. So we're going to do one Tom Hanks movie. And this is like, to me, this is word associated. You say Tom Hanks, what's the movie? One Bruce Willis movie. Say Bruce Willis, what's the movie? One Melanie Griffith movie. And then the final head is a movie from any other person in this movie. Which is great. Kim Cattrall, Morgan Freeman, Kirsten Dunst, F. Murray Abraham, so on. You don't necessarily have to pick their best film, but a movie I think that best represents them and what they're best at. Again, I did it as sort of like a word association. Tom Hanks, what's the movie? Bruce Willis, what's the movie? So you want to go first? You want me to go first? Okay, you go first. Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Big. 
Okay. I would have said also acceptable Philadelphia, Toy Story, that thing you do. I also would have accepted the burbs. Or the burbs, but Big and Forrest Gump are probably one one A, one B. Although he won a best actor for uh, Philadelphia. Not volunteers? No. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Die hard. Die hard for me as well. The other acceptable answer, by Pulp Fiction. Not laser train. Die hard one of those. Sunset. Yes. Blake Edwards is sunset. Yeah, not any of these direct to DVD, you know, gold person or whatever they're yeah. called. I love gold person. Uh, Melanie Griffith. Working girl. Milk money. Yeah. She played like a yeah. sex worker and a lot of stuff. She did. Except in milk money, she couldn't get naked because there were children around, but well, still. She did. But uh, well, yeah. the one kid covers his eyes. Yeah. The flashlight looks like a boob. I thought she was super hot in that movie. All right. And then our, oh, our fourth. I got a good one. Okay. All right. You go first. I went with Kurt Fuller. Nice. No holds barred. Oh, <laughs> Also yes. acceptable. Ghostbusters 2 or Wayne's World. Oh, my God. How good God. is he in Wayne's World? He's the best. Yeah. I went with Donald Moffat. Wow. Who is Sherman's dad. Okay. And he is awesome in The Thing. Yeah. He is fucking amazing yes, in The Thing. That is a great pick. Yeah. Don Moffat, man. When you look at his catalog and all the movies he's been in, you're like, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that was that was a quick one. So Morgan Freeman, who would you say? Me? Uh, Shawshank. Shawshank for me. Seven. Lean on me. Driving Miss Daisy. Any movie ever. Pretty much. Uh, Rita Wilson. Sleepless in Seattle. That thing you do for me. She's the waitress at the cocktail bar. That's right, she is. F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> Last action hero. <laughs> Great. Practice. Uh, Scarface, Serpico, Amadeus. But no, for me, it's also Last Action Hero. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst. Spider-Man. Bring it on. Anybody else? Any? Oh, else? you could be interview with the vampire on that one. Yeah, interview with the vampire. Yeah, that was that was one. There's some fucking it's just crazy how many people are in this. Movie. It's everybody. It's it like, is. They like shit. pulled out no. Fuck it, Brian De Palma. <sighs> I would say blowout or dress to kill. Dress to yeah, kill is dress like such to a kill. cool. Yeah, I would say dress to kill. Weird, you know, pre-trans. I agree. You know, like slasher type movie, super cool with a cool twist. Blowout's cool because. For those who haven't seen it, try not to spoil it. Maybe I will. Fuck it. Who cares? Uh, John Travolta plays a sound guy, and he picks up audio of like a political assassination attempt, and they spend this whole movie trying to like get into a territory that he's a sound guy. How long ago did this come out? 78, maybe. Okay. But he's like a sound, a fantastic movie. It's really great. It's on Criterion. Oh, that sounds like right up my alley, though. I like stuff like that. Well, I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. So, because you should watch it. It's a great movie. It sounds like something I would like. It's really cool. So that's what I'd say. I love Blowout. It's a great movie. All right, let's get back in our richy, rich, yuppie pool. Grab your salmon! You know, I tried to, uh, to find a way. I wanted to make this guy a, a real scumbag. You know, I wanted, I wanted to like to, I thought this, was, this would be a great opportunity for me to take a shot at, these, at all these yellow journalists who have been coming after me for the last five or six years. And I found that I, that, I, that, that, that really wasn't as important to me as, as you know, getting inside the, the dynamic of why an intelligent man who knows the difference between right and wrong will still choose to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing. That was, that was a lot more interesting. All right, critical question. Take Bruce Willis off the table because of... Has Bruce Willis done more bad movies than good movies? Oh, God, yeah. Yes. Jesus Christ. But in his mind, he's not done one bad movie. No. They're all aces. He got 80 bucks for that one. Um, <laughs> what would you say is Tom Hanks' worst movie? Volunteers. You don't think it's this? 
No. Why? It's fucking horrible. I feel Tom Hanks was in a no-win scenario. He was Kobayashi Marud in this movie. There's nothing he could have done to salvage his character. I think some of, I think it's possible that it's this, but like you said, maybe it's unfair. So I'd say a lot of people say it's the terminal. Terminal I've heard, but I don't think the terminal is that bad. I just think it's a little inappropriate, I guess is the word, to have Tom Hanks play this undisclosed foreigner, basically. I mean, in Volunteers, the whole time he's in an English accent the whole time. It's awful. When you look at Tom Hanks's pantheon, three stinkers. It's this, Volunteers. Cloud Atlas. Oh, God, that fucking movie is another bad one. Shit. He's Cloud Atlas. A lot of people would tell you Joe versus the Volcano. I have, like, sentimental, yeah. like, uh, sort of feelings about Joe versus the Volcano. Joe, is def- Joe is way better than this. Yeah, it is. And Tom Hanks had sort of like as little kids do in their journey to puberty they have these like awkward times when like when kids are like two years old they get these big like buck teeth looking things and they always have bad haircuts and then you hit puberty and your face just like it's like the Eddie Izzard bit oh because it is such a hell of a gear change because think about it it's the one time because before puberty girls and boys are going girls uh, boys uh, then it gets to puberty it's like going, or you know boys boys you know whatever sexual preference you're going but you just start switching on that series. And you think, God, I want to get off with some of these people. I better look my best. And then Mother Nature says, No, you will look the worst you ever look in your life. God, yeah. And it's like this whole thing. Well, Tom Hanks went from like the bachelor party comedy guy. Oh, from bosom buddies, bosom buddies to bachelor, bachelor party, party to big. To big. <laughs> and like it was this ugly but in between he had these yeah. movies you're like why these movies where you're like we don't know what to do with this guy before he did this he did the burbs yeah. and then bonfire yeah. it's like we don't know where this guy appropriately yeah. fits so bonfire is almost like well we're gonna try it out and it, he hadn't quite found philadelphia tom hanks yet, no or forrest gump tom hanks or Apollo 11, Tom Hanks, or Apollo 13, Apollo 13. I'm sorry. All these Tom Hanks movies that were like, he became the biggest actor in the world. Yeah. I would love to just sit down with Tom Hanks and go, Tom, Jim, nice to meet you. Bonfire, the vanities go. I would love to do that with everyone. I just want to know why. Tell me about it. Because I have a feeling Tom Hanks would go, listen, this is what I was given. I tried to put my input into it. It's sort of like Hart Bachner in PCU. Yeah. How he wanted no riffing. Yes whatsoever i have a feeling well, tom hanks was fucking we've the same way we've got a lot of these movies this season because we've talked about how empire records and pump up the volume were both basically taken from that director to be like just shit it out we'll fix it i would i don't know if i want to do this to myself i'd like to see book compared to movie yeah but i don't know if i want to well ugh. we're gonna get into some of that here shortly and you may have an opportunity to do that after you finish Haleywood. yeah the other critical question just something not even necessarily a critical question just something i want to talk about before logic which is what do you think the biggest problem with this movie is because again it is this is the titanic this ship is unsinkable and it's sunk this movie brian de palma best-selling source material tom hanks bruce willis again bruce willis regardless of how fucking crazy he was off screen He's there on screen. So if everybody else could do their job and deliver the way they needed to, you can't blame that. So why is this movie like, what is it in your opinion? (laughs) Loaded question. 
This is what I think. The source material was kind of pushed aside, and I don't know if it was De Palma himself, but he had his own vision of what he wanted the source material to be. He got the cast to do it, or the movie company got the cast that they wanted to do it, and he couldn't execute it. Now, what I thought as I was watching this movie when I texted you, because I was like, why are they delivering the lines so goofy? It doesn't make sense. Like Kim Cattrall with a horrible English accent that she's in and out of. And Tom Hanks sounds like he's just reading verbatim. And that's when I texted you and I said, is this supposed to be Peter Fallow as a narrator giving us his portrayal of his own book with the characters in it? Which that is interesting because then that becomes... Because then to me, it makes sense why it's so goofy. That becomes the literature equivalent of what's called an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Our narrator then is a drunk fuck up yeah and if we let a drunk fuck up tell the story it's not going to be quite right however if if your theory were true you've got to step back and say okay brian de palma in the studio still want to produce and give you a working movie now while as interesting as that is i'm like you can't unless you really heavy-handed telegraph that you can't allow that to become the movie unless peter fallow literally says this is my series of events If he would have said that at the very beginning, let me tell you where this started all the way back a year ago. And this is how I saw it. Boom. We're into Peter Fowler's book. It's almost like Danny going into the movie in Last Action Hero. This is how he lived the movie. Yeah. If they did it like this, I think this movie would have been more successful. I Okay, I'll tell you what my theories are. I think it's a number of things going hand in hand that don't really work. So This movie got in its own way. One, the, again, Titanic is unsinkable, which means the only thing it can't do is sink. So Bonfire of the Vanities became the movie that cannot fail. So the expectations (laughs) were one because it had just these expectations to just be this fucking crazy juggernaut of a movie. Two, I think that Tom Hanks was the wrong choice. Oh, horrible. But that still doesn't explain the box office because even if Tom Hanks is bad, Tom Hanks still should put butts in seats. But here's the thing, too. They released this right before Christmas in the midst of Home Alone just yeah. fucking tearing up. And see, and that's... That put is this in May. Another place I'm going. Is this what the audience really wanted? No. Because look at... What else... What other movies did you mention? Home Alone? Home Alone, 1990. Let's see what else came out in 90. Die Hard two oh my god uh, ghost yeah ghost fuck put this earlier on in the year and you're fine we did pump up the I volume just think i mean there were these huge movies that came out in 1990 and they were all a little wacky like ninja turtles and edward scissorhands days of thunder dances with wolves and tremors cry baby pretty woman total recall yeah there were like they picked the wrong year to put this movie out do it in 91 do it in 88 87 i don't know when the book came out yeah but this right up the alley for mid 80s yeah not 1990 and ultimately i think the thing for me is this movie it's too thin there is not enough of a crime to build a courtroom drama around even my cousin Vinny had a better crime yes because exactly gas station guy got fucking murdered if you want to do a racial component courtroom drama a Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey and Samuel yeah. Jackson. Fantastic. Yeah. He does the whole racial flip in that. This movie wants to be like this racial... It just doesn't have enough of anything. It does Okay, it wants to deal with race relations, but doesn't really go into that enough, other than a few lines. It wants to be a courtroom drama, but the case itself, as we mentioned, is a it's hit and run where somebody didn't die. 
Yeah. So why would we build an OJ case around? Plus, there's not even that many scenes within the courtroom. Right, exactly. So it's fucking There's not enough to be a courtroom drama. Well, okay, a character study. The character's pretty unredeemable, even though they cleaned him up for the movie. He's having an affair. We're not sympathetic to a Wall Street trader. He has a secret room in which he has tons of guns. Yes. And he proceeds to shoot them wildly in his own penthouse apartment. And there's really no... His wife doesn't know what accent she has. (laughs) There's no likable character in this movie. It's fucking horrible. Is there any likable character in this movie? Morgan Freeman, the judge. And that's a stretch. Yeah, because it's not Fallow. No, it's It's not not Sherman. Anybody from the church, it's not Geraldo Rivera. No. It's not... It's it's definitely not Melanie. It's George Plimpton. Yes. <laughs> I just yeah, I just don't think they had enough. Oh. I think that whatever the book is, I didn't read it, but whatever the book is, if they hadn't, if they wanted to make a movie, they should have rewritten, they should have taken the premise. What if a gun went off and accidentally shot one of these guys? Do something. And then the court trial revolves around whether the shot was fired. Who first off, who had the gun? And two, was it intentional to shoot them? Or was it an accident? Was the author not on set for source material? He was. He didn't just go, I don't know. What the fuck are we doing here? All right, let's, uh, where's David McCall? It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. I agree with you, David. You could have been fucking Sherman and been better. Let's get into it. The entire last 10 minutes of this movie. Ugh. How can Sherman just play audio from his speaker at his desk? You can't. He opens up a briefcase. He puts in a tape. He puts a speaker, like a computer speaker on his desk, and out loud plays a tape that incriminates Melanie Griffith's character, Maria. While she's on the stand. While she's on the stand. His attorney said that's not admissible in court. So that is not how court works. It's illegal wiretapping. No way does this work. And they don't ask questions beyond, he calls them to the stand, he says, is this your tape? And Tom Hanks says, yes, it's my tape. But it's not! The prosecution doesn't challenge the context. For all we know, Tom Hanks recorded this off the TV of some movie that was playing. At this rate, why don't you have the DA who just looks exhausted or the assistant DA, the guy who wants to be mayor, stand up and just go, this is bullshit. You know, do something. Show some excitement. They just let it go. And if this happened in modern day court, they're going to say, okay, at no point does this person being recorded ever say, my name is Maria no. and I was driving the car. You could deny this because it's just a woman's voice. Kevin, it's hearsay. It is just a woman's voice on the tape. We don't know who what that who that woman is. It's it's hearsay. You could technically say that's not his voice either. It's yes. been doctored. Yes. There's you don't have a tape expert. You didn't admit it. You didn't admit it as evidence even though we said morgan freeman is like the best character he may be the worst he's the dumbest fucking judge he just said oh we have a tape all right you can go home it doesn't matter how you played it or anything and again the lawyer said this wasn't admissible so it's not like they presented this as evidence it's just he puts a speaker on his desk plays the tape and it's good enough (laughs) you're fine (laughs) like that's all i fucking had that's i mean why are why is the bronx burning in 1990 it's is this escape from new york you see all these pimps and prostitutes and drug deals fucking so racist and i get like late 80s new york city isn't the greatest place but it's not like they went off the beaten path they're in the fucking bronx yeah so this is crazy to me the movie ends with fallow being recognized for the book he wrote which is about the case The whole book is about the case. What that book is, I don't know. We have no idea. 
Everyone involved in this entire case on both sides are in the crowd. It includes the district attorney, the members of his office, that black minister, and so on. They're all there applauding Fallow. Why? For the ones who lost the trial, Fallow took away their opportunity. Like, the district attorney's opportunity to be the mayor, Fallow pulled that from him. He ruined it. So why would he be there applauding? This almost seems like a dream sequence. That's fucking brilliant. Because everyone is there applauding him, and it's like, but why? Well, that is excellent, because if he's hammer drunk, what happened if the last scene in the movie is just him laying in bed sleeping, and yeah. then he wakes up? In his fucking dilapidated apartment, which what looks if this like- this was just a dream? Yeah. Oh my God, this yep. makes the movie so much better. Yeah. It does. It's That's fucking brilliant. He never ends up, because I don't trust, I just don't trust that last scene. It's got everybody, it's the Wizard of Oz. It's it like is. she wakes up at the end and sees all her family and they all correspond to somebody. We're told that Sherman has to make the phone call that puts the series of events in motion. So Fallow tells us, you know, one year ago, Sherman made the phone call. It started the whole thing. So Sherman takes the dog out in the rain. The dog doesn't want to go. He sees Kurt Fuller's character. They make some sort of joke. It's an awkward conversation. Sherman goes to a payphone. Despite, they say he has like 11 phones in his house, but he goes to a payphone. He dials on the payphone. Idiot calls his own house. His wife answered and he says, Maria, hello, it's me. Sorry, may I speak to Maria? Who is this? Maria? Sherman? Sherman, is that you? Sherman? And she's like, Sherman? Sherman, is that you? And then he hangs up. I guess... (laughs) Then he goes upstairs. Was that you? Honey, (laughs) it wasn't me. I I was walking the doggy. So I think I just figured this out right now. So this reveals the affair to her. I feel like she always knew he was fucking around. I do too. He's a fucking Wall Street yuppie. They all fuck. But like he, if this reveals the affair to her, maybe she knew, but this confirms it. And I think she tells him she's leaving. And I guess if she leaves, then that gives him the opportunity then to go see Maria. And then by seeing Maria puts him in the position that starts the whole thing you remember later on before he goes crazy with the gun and starts shooting his fucking place up and granted the cops don't even show up for that which is fucking weird remember he follows her into the kitchen he's like Judy, what's going on this is a dinner party it was planned weeks ago if you ever bother to look at your calendar judy i mean under the circumstances yes i know the whole story i heard it i saw it on television on television i'm sorry judy i am Truly, I, you betrayed me, us, I... Sherman. Me, Campbell, even yourself. On the other hand, I am going to chair the museum benefit thanks to you and your escapades. Well, <laughs> what can I say? Life goes on. I guess I'm just going to have to make the best of an absolutely appalling situation and carry Judy, on. Please, can you, can you forgive me? I suppose I can forgive anything but not television. I'm leaving you, Sherman, after the party. Now, if you will excuse me, we have guests. That whole scene seems like a Stanley Kubrick scene. It does. Everybody's applauding him. Yeah. He's just been arrested and he's about to go on trial. And they had this big circus setting the bail where they try and raise it, even though it's been agreed to. And, but everybody's applauding him. And it's like, it's like the whole thing where it's like, um, Bad news is better no news at all because at least you're being talked about. Sherman's almost this celebrity, even though it's because he may have killed someone with his mistress. The dude who just straight up dies at dinner, which you say is Maria's husband. You stick the wing in the sand and you have to spin around until it stops. <laughs> 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 
ain't never been on a plane before. What do they know? They think this is how you do it. Ruskin? Yeah. I thought is her dad. Dad. He's just at lunch, brunch, and he's talking and then he dies. Thanks. He just his head falls down and he, have a good one. Because he, he realized what movie he was in. It's he just dies. He's telling a story, he dies mid-conversation. Chokes what? on a sandwich. I was like, was I not paying attention? Because he just died. Yeah. For no reason. And then you've mentioned it a couple times. This does take place in the melting pot of New York City. Every character has this unique accent from the other one. Oh, Melanie Griffith's accent is weird. What? Southern. Southern like, what the fuck? South sort of Carolina. Thing. Kim Cattrall is the most offensive accent yeah. ever. It's just bad British. She's in and out of that British accent all the time. We just, everybody in this movie has this. Even Tom Hanks. He's got like a hoity-toity, yeah, clean, upper west weird, side. Which you can really hear when he has that weird conversation with Kurt Fuller, where he basically tells him his joke's not funny or something. And then uh, a production logic issue. Melanie Griffith, who turned down, again, Basic Instinct. and <laughs> other, When Harry met Sally. These huge movies. <laughs> Hugely successful movies to be in this. Halfway through this movie, halfway through filming, she got breast implants. Yep. And all they were all pissed because they were like continuity. But that's an odd choice. To be quite honest with you, I tuned out to this movie so quick, I didn't even notice her boobs got bigger. I don't think I did either, but still, it's just, it's a, why would, as a person, she make that choice? She probably saw the writing on the wall with this movie and just said, fuck it. Okay. That's weird. What is the legacy of this movie? I'll tell you what the legacy is, Kevin, <laughs> is this is what you don't ever do. It's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. If you have a movie ID in your mind and it goes somewhere like this, don't fucking do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. All right. So I, I teased it earlier. There is a Turner Classic Movies podcast called The Plot Thickens, and it's from Julie Salomon about Bonfire of the Vanity. So it is the author of Devil's Candy hosts a podcast specifically about this movie. How can you do it? The controversies surrounding the film, again, were detailed in that book, The Devil's Candy, The Bonfire of the Vanities Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, so basically she, the whole reason she got on set and got the access to set is because she was going to write a Wall Street Journal article as the critic about the adaptation of the book into a movie. But then I think when she got there and was granted so much access, she was like, shit, I'm writing a book. <laughs> I'm writing a book. <laughs> what am so, I watching? Among other things, the book describes how De Palma has a difficult relationship with then rising star Bruce Willis, who in the words of Salomon was generally disliked by most of the cast and crew due to his ego. You know what's amazing about Bruce Willis? Two years before Tried that. to buy a city. Well, yeah. Two years before this, when they were going to cast Bruce Willis as the lead in Die Hard. People were embarrassed by it. Like, this movie's going to be horrible. So much so, they took him off the poster. Yeah. And then, Moonlight, he started getting more traction. They put him back on the poster. Bruce Willis was dog shit. He walked around playing Bruno. He wanted to be Bruno yeah. all the fucking, the bartender who sings a fucking harmonica. In one, in turned into in Don one instance during the filming of a scene in which Willis was with Alan King, the scene in which the character played by Alan King dies, which is Melanie Griffith's husband, dad. <laughs> I love, I love husband Willis man. challenged the crew. So he wanted it faster. And the reason was he was too hot. He wanted the scene to happen faster because he was too hot. Great. So he just, uh, I might check out that podcast. I'm pretty sure that the podcast is also called, oh, it's called the plot thickens. Okay. 
So if you look up the Plot Thickens on any podcast app, it should be Plot Thickens, Bonfire of the Vanities. And you can find out, I think from the horse's mouth herself, Joyce Salomon, what exactly happened with this movie. <laughs> and when you listen to Haleywood, you'll see, wow, makes perfect sense now. The yeah. Bruce Willis would say, speed it up, I'm hot. All right, stick around for some plugs. You know, one of the, in a movie that is filled with disappointments, the biggest disappointment for me was the Bruce Willis character. Absolutely. They really, they really missed a chance here. I mean... Why do they get so tied up with the notion that they have to fill up a movie with stars that they don't look at the book and see who this drunken, British, freeloading little guy was? And why not get somebody who can play that oh. fascinating character instead of having a big lump of, of dead space there uh, taking up uh, so much screen time? The question I have is for Brian De Palma. If you want to make this film, why make it this way? If you wanted to make it at all, try to make there it. There are a dozen directors that could have done a much better job. Pool Sceners, once again, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Pool Scene Podcast. And as always, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Smash that like button with unbridled enthusiasm and make sure you spread the word of the Pool Scene Podcast to one and all. Go over to Facebook at Pool Scene Podcast. Join the Pool Sceners group. You guys want to win some free stuff? Maybe make a suggestion about an episode or two? Let us know. Join today. Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast and TikTok. We're trendy with the kids, y'all, at Pool Scene Pod 1. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now back to Kevin. All right, final lap guy. Yeah, the final lap. Right. Kind of a weird time here in uh, Pool Scene Podcast world. My daughter, my five-year-old daughter got the COVID. She um, was apparently exposed by someone at her... Um, she goes to school. She goes to like pre-K, but she was at uh, daycare. And she... We found out somebody she went with would test positive, which is weird because usually a lot of kids don't get tested because they don't really show physical symptoms. So she had like cold flu like symptoms. But anyway, I've been working from home for like two weeks and uh, I got a negative test. Um, so I didn't get it. Or if I did, you know, it's false negative something. But so that's been weird. Um, this weekend, we're heading to Cleveland to celebrate the uh, land. My birthday. We're you gonna, old bastard. Going to do. Yeah, I'm going to be 38. Yeah. We're going to do. I remember some, those days. Uh, we're going to do some, uh, some dinner. Drugs. Do some drugs. Do some, uh, go under the bridge. Yeah. We're going to make a wrong turn. Make a wrong turn. There's going to be uh, a tire in the road. Yes. Uh, which maybe, maybe in Cleveland. Possible. Yeah. So that's pretty much Christmas. I don't think now don't hold us to this. I don't think we're going to skip a week. Yeah. Because of how the holiday falls last year, I think we did. But this year, we are doing a Christmas special, which will be exciting. With jingle our, all the way. Yeah, jingle all the way, which Jim's never seen. So uh, that'll be pretty fun. And then we'll close the year with Mike and Shane doing Bachelor Party. Yeah. So, yeah, the Christmas special will be next. Should be releasing on Monday the 20th. Yeah, as long as all goes well, we'll have the Bachelor Party episode on the 27th. And then I guess maybe we'll have a discussion about whether we'll have an episode for... Uh, 2020 the first episode of 2022 yeah so a lot going on i so since i've been home i've watched pretty much every bad christmas movie that's uh available on
on HBO Max, Hulu, Netflix. I've watched all of them. So I did check out 8-Bit Christmas. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to kind of get choked up in the end of it because the whole time, being video game guys like we are, I took some issue with... You can't you can't turn off. You're like Simon Pegg in <laughs> Hot Fuzz. You, you can't just sit back and watch it as a movie. You got to be like, nope, that was released in July, not in December. Like you... Can't help it. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it because it's a newer movie. But in the end, it ended up being quite wholesome and I kind of got choked up. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's it's fine. It's fine. It I, is. I, what mean, it I is. watched like the Holiday in Handcuffs and the, I love, there's one called A Very Nutty Christmas with Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart. She works at this cookie store who has to get this like 15,000 cookie order. Sounds like a Hallmark Red, movie. It is. It's like oh, one of okay. those. And A Nutcracker Comes to Life. Oh, it's got the most wild, disappointing ending to a movie. It's crazy. And, uh, but I, I've been watching all of those. I don't know why I hate Christmas, but I've been just watching every bad Hallmark style movie. And I've also been watching a ton of true crime movies. And I watched Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and who else is in that movie? Oh, uh, Rami Malek in, it's called the little things. It's a true crime thriller. I would not recommend it that bad, huh? Yes. And no because he plays Freddie Mercury in it. Yeah. He, he's Freddie Mercury all the way. <laughs> he still had the weird jaw prosthetic. It's just in the end. They don't, they don't telegraph it, but the movie is more as the procedural work of being a cop rather than solving the crime. So if I had known that going in, I wouldn't have been as disappointed. But the fact that it's like, okay, you give us this like crime and you tell us the details of the crime and you tell us how many bodies there are and we see the bodies and we see the crime scenes. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, oh, don't worry about that. That's, that's nothing. Like it's about, it's about these characters. Eh, I don't want that. No. But uh, yeah, I watched, um, I think I've been watching stuff like Mystic River, which is fantastic. Uh, Stuff like that. Yeah. But tomorrow I go back to work. We have our work Christmas party, which is funny because in a normal year, every year that I've been there at Christmas, they have the holiday party at our plant. So our production facility in the cafeteria, they cater. And usually there's a Christmas committee who gets all this shit, air fryers, gift cards to you name it, a grill, a Steelers basket, a Browns basket. This year's jack shit. Yeah. So normally there's a Christmas committee who does all that. They give you like... 10 tickets. You put your tickets in. They draw. They draw. Nobody can win a prize twice. So if they draw, you know, you end up winning, you know, like I got my wife a Victoria's Secret gift card a couple years ago and everybody like thought it was hilarious to make fun of me for getting a Victoria's Secret gift card. Little uh, Bought myself a beautiful corset. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, so. Um, but this year, I don't think there's a Christmas committee. I don't think there, we don't have a whole lot of employees and, uh, it's being held at a place that we did business with. So there's probably some bartering involved and it's being held in an event center rather okay. than at our facility. going to be a bar. An event center, less employees than you had before uh, and an open bar. Yeah. Wow. So let I, shit go nuts. I always heard, you know, the horror stories about work Christmas parties and stuff. And uh, yeah, so we're, we'll see. Hopefully you don't tape something. It's not admissible. Well, yeah, but also, you know, spouses and stuff are invited, which is interesting too, because. Wait, would it include the one woman you talked about once that showed up yeah. from lunch with the Jets yeah. or whatever she was wearing to uh-huh. sex hair? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, she'll be there. Interviewer. Actually. 
I don't know. Oh, she will be there tomorrow. She was just out of town on, on business, but uh, uh, business, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having coffee with the <laughs> president of Burundi. Bur- or as you said last week, Burundi. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, coffee. No, 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 no. Yeah. So more Christmas party. I guess I'll report back on our Christmas special about how that goes. I'm going to get uh, hammered. I'm going to power bomb someone through a table. I want to have a fucking Christmas party at a skating rink. Am I old school like that? That'd I think be it'd amazing. Be but how shit. many, uh, how many fucking, it, you could claim it as an, as a work event. And then if you get hurt. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd get hurt just skating. Like not even like falling or anything. I think literally like I would make one stride and I'd pull my groin or something. I have a feeling I would eat shit, but it'd be fun. Yeah. Our, they closed one of our skating rinks, unfortunately. And then one burned down. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not an insurance scam? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think so. All right. Well, Jimmy, got anything else? No. Well, I'm looking forward to kicking ass in Top Golf. I think I'm going to bring my clubs. You don't need to. Don't be that guy. I want to be that guy. I need to practice. Just deck out. Just wear, uh, wear the hat, the shirt, the pants wear it all just like you i'm gonna go buy an outfit yeah just go buy a full head to toe bring a caddy oh my god i bring a caddy to give me clubs come here club please five iron i'm more worried about drinking than i am uh golfing <laughs> tiger woods gonna golf this year yeah i know I get, i'm excited to see that it kind of hurts being a tiger fan when he even says listen i know my limitations now i'm not going to be able to be the same guy i was before and i get that he's in his late 40s now injuries have add up the fact that he's even attempting to golf is amazing. Listen, we saw him come back and win a tournament. We saw him come back and win the Masters. He's the greatest of all time, even though he's not going to have the most majors ever. Tiger Woods. Golf needs Tiger Woods. All right. So this is going to extend this podcast a little bit. Who out of, well, I don't even know that there's more examples, but I was going to say, got LeBron James's son, Bronny. Yeah. You've got Tiger Woods' son, Charlie. Charlie. Who would you put your bets on or any other athlete's son to take the mantle and live up to that legacy. Bronny. See, Bronny isn't even like a top 50 prospect. It's going to take him time. He's still developing. Bronny, like, I think everybody wants it to happen. I think if you're comparing Bronny to Charlie. But you don't think Charlie could be as good as his dad? I mean, maybe not as good as his dad, but. I think it's it's going to be harder for Charlie to live up a, to a Tiger Woods Look at type. Like Jordan's kids. They, they really couldn't do, do it. Tiger in 2000. If you could even come to a tenth of what Tiger did in that one year. Yeah. All power to you, Charlie Woods, if you can get there. But Bronny, I don't think Bronny needs to go out and win five or six titles if he gets drafted. Or maybe he gets at a point he goes, I just don't want to play basketball. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, sports are crazy because you have like um, Ken Griffey Jr. who's in the Hall of Fame. I think he's in the Hall of Fame he already. Is. But then you have Fred McGriff who put up better career numbers than yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. Not in the Hall of Fame. But you know what I love about Ken Griffey Jr.? Never took roids. Yeah. Always was proven he never took steroids. Backwards hat. I'm surprised they let him in. Damn straight. All right. Well, if you want to hear more about um, insurance scams from burning down businesses, you tune in next week to our Christmas special, which does feature a bomb threat. So uh, also real quick, Kevin and I are knocking around an idea. For a new type of episode, I picked up a movie from the dollar store. I, we posted it on our Facebook. Chinese speaking vampires. Got it for a buck. It looks like something. We might do episodes every now and then where we find these cheap movies and only maybe do a half hour. So just want to throw it out there into the ether. See what you guys think. Okay. Raposo. can almost taste the hot dogs and french fries Baby